Good morning to you. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. Just so thankful for this annual Global Missions Week. Um, This church has been in existence for eight years and this is our seventh uh, Global Missions Week. So it is definitely a priority here at this church. Uh, Love every time this week rolls around our opportunity to be reminded again that the God we love, the God we serve is on a global mission. That it's not just about one local church or two local churches. Our God's on a global mission. And it's so helpful once a year to be reminded of that and to kind of recalibrate and remember what what this is all about here in the Christian life. Uh, We're in Romans chapter 1. We're taking a break from the book of Acts, uh, which I've been preaching through. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 in Romans chapter 1. We will, however, just be focusing today on one verse that we're going to be reading this morning. But we will start reading in just a minute in verse 1. Let's go ahead and pray as we get going here. Well, Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you are a God who will, will, will not neglect this fallen world. That, uh, Father, even though we deserved because of our sin for you to distance yourself and, and to destroy this world and, and maybe start again, you, you didn't do that. And in the person of Christ, you stepped into this fallen world. You stepped in to save sinners. And not just one sinner, not just two, but millions. And not just in one people group, but sinners in every people group on this planet. That, Lord Jesus, you came to redeem, to restore this fallen world. We're grateful, Lord God, that you are a global God working around this world um, right here, right now. And we just pray here, Lord, as we focus on your global mission, I just ask you, Father, right now, that you would realign us as a church. Very easy to get out of alignment. Very easy to lose our calibration. And I just pray, Lord, you'd realign us here. In, in these few minutes we have, you would recalibrate things concerning your global mission. I commit it to you. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. A ship, a ship that loses its moorings is in trouble. A, a ship that is anchored in some harbor, um, maybe anchored out at sea somewhere, maybe at night in rough seas, a ship that breaks its moorings, suddenly adrift, before you know it, it's destroyed. It, it happens frequently. A passenger steamship called the Welcome on a river in Oregon broke her moorings in high water, drifted into trees, and was wrecked. A cruise ship, the Queen Frederica, broke her moorings in a storm. She was driven aground and broke up on shore. A passenger cargo ship, the Princess Kathleen, broke her moorings in Alaska, driven aground, slid back then into deeper water, and sunk. A ship that loses its moorings adrift, no longer tethered in place, is in trouble. And a similar thing could be said about global missions in a local church. If missions in a local church like this loses its moorings, if it's set adrift, no longer tethered in place, then missions in that local church is in trouble, and that can happen. How, how does global missions in a church like this lose its moorings? Well, you simply start doing it for the wrong reason. You know, we love missions in this church. It's something we focused on almost from day one in our church. Giving time, giving energy, resources, giving people to missions. To, to see the gospel message of Christ spread around the world. We believe that global missions is something that every Christian should be involved with in some way. But listen, we must do it for the right reason. And it's very easy to do global missions for the wrong reason. There are lots of good reasons why a church might be involved in in missions. Maybe you, you just want to help people around the world. There's so many hurting people 
out there physically, sick, they're poor, they're starving. And then spiritually, they're lost. They've not yet heard about Christ, and you just want to help people. This is a good, that's a legitimate reason to do global missions. Or maybe you do missions just because primarily you want to be obedient. God tells us all over the Bible to spread the news of Christ around the world, and, and you just want to obey. That's another good, legitimate reason for missions helping people or obedience to god those are both really good reasons to be involved with global missions but please hear me on this if either of those things are your primary reason your primary motivation for doing global missions then your global missions has lost its moorings your, your global missions is not anchored. It's, it's not tethered to solid ground. Your global missions is adrift. Your global missions is in trouble. Because here's the thing. God has given us in his word a primary reason, a primary motivation for doing global missions. And it's not ultimately that we might just help people. It's not ultimately that we might just be obedient. No, the one primary biblical reason for global missions, here it is. Why do it? The glory of God. We do global missions for the glory of God. We do global missions in order that the one true God might be praised. In order that he might be worshipped and, and, and adored. In order that Christ might receive the honor, the worship that he deserves all over this world. Global missions is ultimately for the glory of God. John Stott says this. He says, the highest missionary motive is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is. But the highest missionary motive, rather, is zeal. Burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Or, John Piper says it like this, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Because the one true God, because Christ is not yet receiving the worship that he deserves in this world, so many nations still not giving him the honor, the praise, the adoration he deserves. That's why missions exists, to raise up worship for God. That God might receive the glory that he deserves from all nations. And it's so easy to lose sight of that in a church with global missions. Jason Mandrick in the book Operation World, a prayer book, fantastic for the nations. We have them on the table, go purchase one. Jason Mandrick says this, he says, too often we immerse ourselves in the task of missions, but we lose sight of its ultimate purpose, the glory of God. You know, the, the tendency in many churches when it comes to missions, that the tendency is to do missions just for the sake of people, to help people physically or spiritually. So many hurting people, we want to help them, let's do global missions. When I was a kid, the missionaries would come to our church service and tell us about the hurting people out there. We, we, we'd see the pictures, all these broken, lost people out there. And I just assumed missions was all about just helping people. But listen, if that's your primary motive for missions, just to help people, you've lost your moorings. That is a man-centered mission. We are so fallen as a human race that we want to make everything ultimately about us, including global missions. But everything is not ultimately about the human race. It's ultimately about God and how the human race fits into this story about God. If it's just about helping people, it's a man-centered missions, and man-centered missions is adrift. 
It's not tethered to this solid ground right here. According to the Bible, missions is not man-centered, but God-centered. It's concerned primarily not just with man, but with God and His glory in this world. And we can see all over the Bible that missions is ultimately for the glory of God. And we're just going to look today at one example here in Romans 1. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. We've seen this man, Paul, lately in the book of Acts, which I'm now preaching through. Paul was really the first global Christian missionary. Paul was called by God to share the news of Christ everywhere in foreign nations. And here in Romans 1, Paul gives us here the primary motive or reason for all global missions. Let's go ahead and read it. We'll start in verse 1. We'll then just focus on one verse here. Verse 1, Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which... God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. You may not catch it first glance, but there in those verses, Paul basically lays out there his missionary calling from God. He, he says there that he was called to be an apostle, one of the original apostles. He was set apart, Paul says, for the gospel, to, to share the, the gospel message about Christ, Jesus, who was the son of David according to the flesh, a descendant of David, but was also declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Paul was called by God to share the message of Christ about his life, his death, his resurrection. Paul was called by God to be the first global Christian missionary, called to share the gospel outside of his own country. And in verse 5 there, Paul says three critical things about his missionary calling, Three things that also apply to our missionary calling right here. We'll look at these three three things one at a time. And we'll focus on the third thing. The the third and final thing Paul says here. Well, Paul gives us the primary reason for all global missions. But let's start with the first thing he says here in verse 5. The first thing Paul says about his missionary calling, which also applies to our missionary calling. Point number one. The obedience of faith. Global missions is about the obedience of faith. And Paul says here that he was called to bring about in other people's lives the obedience of faith. If you look again at verse 5, through Christ, through him, through Christ, Paul says, he says, we... That's Paul and the other original apostles. We apostles have received grace and apostleship to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith. And Paul was simply talking there about making more Christians, more disciples or followers of Christ. Paul was called by God to bring more people to faith in Christ that they might be forgiven by God, but pause there for a second, because that's a very interesting phrase that Paul used there. Paul, he doesn't just say there, I'm called to bring about faith in other people, or I'm called to bring people to faith in Christ. No, he says there, I'm called to bring about the obedience of faith. And man, I'll tell you what, that right there is just a great reminder to us that right there just reminds us that a true and living faith in Christ it it has obedience attached to it if if you right now if you have a genuine faith in Christ you are clinging to Christ in faith right now You've submitted to Christ in faith. He is both your your Savior and your Master. If you have a true faith in Christ, you will now be seeking to obey Christ. Your faith is a living faith, and that living faith will produce obedience 
to the Lord Jesus Christ, the obedience of faith. That's simply a true Christian. That is simply a true believer, follower of Christ. A a true Christian is not just someone who says that they believe in Christ. It's not just someone who's been baptized in the name of Christ. No, it's someone who also proves it. Proves that their faith is genuine by obeying Christ. Obedience flowing out of their living faith in Christ. Now listen, you're, you're not saved by your obedience. You're saved by faith alone in, in Christ alone. You, you simply hear the gospel that Jesus is the eternal son of God. You hear that he came to this earth, he lived, died, and he rose again to save sinners like you, and you put your faith in Christ. You, you repent, you turn away from your sin in faith, you cling to Christ in faith, you cry out for mercy in faith, and the Bible says you're forgiven. But all your sin, your wash, your 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 cleanse through faith alone. Paul says it very simply in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He says this: if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart One believes and is justified or is declared righteous before God. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But here's the thing. If your faith in Christ is truly genuine Well, your faith will produce obedience. You will listen to what Christ says in his word. You will seek to read it. You will will seek to obey Christ. The Protestant reformers, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, those guys all the time, they would say, you're saved by faith alone. But... A true saving faith will never be alone. It will always have good works attached to it. A true saving faith will always have the obedience of faith. And man, that is just so good for us to hear today here in America because there are so many nominal Christians in America today. So many people who are Christian in name only. They say they have faith in in Christ, they've been baptized, they attend church services, but there's no real obedience of faith. They don't really care to read what Christ says, They they don't really care all that much to obey Christ, and that lack of obedience is a sign proving that their faith, as James 2 says, is, is just a dead faith. It's not a real living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Robert Mounts, he, he says this, Obedience is the true measure of a person's faith. Obedience is the true measure of a person's faith, whether or not that faith is real. No real obedience, there's no real faith. A true believer seeks to obey Christ. And you know, you, you think about a true believer, a, tr- a true Christian. You, you know what that obedience in a true Christian really is? That obedience is love. That obedience is love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That obedience is proof that that person really does love Christ. Jesus said it himself. He said this, John fourteen fifteen. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or John 14, 23, he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Man, it, it's so important for us because it is so easy to sing songs on Sunday morning where you say you love Christ. But the proof, as we say, is in the pudding. How do you know if someone truly loves Christ? Just look at their obedience. Or their lack of obedience thereof. 
The obedience of faith is such a precious thing in the eyes of God. And that's what, what, what Paul was called to bring about. He says there in verse 5, I'm called. I've received grace and apostleship to bring about in other people the obedience of faith. I'm called to raise up true believers who, who truly love and therefore obey Christ. And please hear me on this. We're called to do the same thing. We're called to do the same thing. You know, there's a sense in which Paul was very unique, different from us. He was called to be an original apostle. He had a very unique calling from God. He was called to do some things that none of us will ever be called to do. But one thing Christians today do have in common with Paul, well, we, just like Paul, have also been called to make more Christians. We have been called by God to make more disciples. Jesus said so, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. He said to all of his people, go and make disciples. Make more Christ followers. So that's what we aim to do in our church. We aim to make disciples. You, you see it every morning when you walk in and you sit down up on the screen. Our mission statement is up there and the start of it says, we aim to make disciples, followers of Christ. So can I just encourage you again, Christ Redeemer Church, look around you. Look around at the unbelievers that God has placed uh, around you in, in this life. If I can encourage again the life groups here in our church, look around. Look for open doors with unbelieving friends, unbelieving neighbors or co-workers. Look to love those people really well. Look for open doors with those people to, to share the gospel about the Lord Jesus Christ. Call those people to faith in Christ. But please, 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 Remember what we're aiming for here when we make disciples. We're aiming for the obedience of faith. That's what we're called to bring about. We're not looking for people to just check some box saying, sure, I'll vote for Christ if he'll give me a couple things. We're not looking for people just to pray some little simple prayer, just the superficial ascent to Christ that ultimately produces nothing in their lives? No. We're aiming for the obedience of faith. That's what we're aiming for in our children. That's what we're aiming for in our own people. The obedience of, of faith. We want to see people trust in Christ, love Christ, and therefore obey Christ. So that's one thing here with Paul's missionary calling Something here that also applies to our missionary calling. We, like Paul, we have been called to bring about the obedience of faith. And a second thing here then with Paul's missionary calling that also applies to our missionary calling, point number two, all nations. All nations. Paul was called to do this thing everywhere. If you look again at verse 5. He says, through him, through Christ, we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, dot, 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 among all the nations. And the Greek word for nations there is the word ethnos. It could be translated as ethnicities. Paul wasn't just called by God to reach every nation. He was called to reach every people group. Every ethnicity on, on this planet. And Paul, in the book of Acts, will see it. He begins to do it, man. He begins to move out of Israel and he begins to bring about the obedience of faith. He begins to make disciples in all kinds of different people groups. Making disciples in, in foreign places like, like Antioch and Greece and Rome and, and, and so on. And God has called us to do the same. Jesus said it, Matthew 28, he said to all his people, go and make disciples of all nations. Make Christians in every people group. And man, for 2,000 years now, since the days of Christ, Christians have been doing it. They've been going out to reach people groups that have never heard about Christ. And they've been bringing people in those people groups to faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians for 2,000 years have been making disciples in, in places like Spain and India and 
Turkey and Ghana. But we've still got a ways to go. Man, if you look at the Joshua Project website, according to the Joshua Project, there's some 17,000 different people groups around this world, and 7,000 of them are still unreached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Molly and I, we were at a fundraiser this past week for Reach All Nations. Reach All Nations is a, a ministry that our church supports. It's a ministry that is, is seeking to take the gospel to India. And in India alone, there are some 2,500 people groups. And only 200 of those people groups, 10% of those people groups, they're considered to be reached with the gospel of Christ. That leaves 90% of the ethnic people groups in India still unreached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of those people have never even heard the gospel of Christ. But those numbers are changing. They're changing. They're changing through persecution, but they're changing. Ministries, churches, raising up people to take the gospel to India. Reach All Nations is raising up church planters to take the gospel to those unreached people groups. We heard a story the other night, and if I heard it correctly, there was a man there in India, lost as could be, actually sitting in a tree one day. Think of Zacchaeus, maybe. And this one man heard, proclaimed from a loudspeaker in the next town, the gospel of Christ. And was converted in the tree. Raised up now to be a pastor. And he is now taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to his unreached people group. And that's our calling as a local church. We're not called to just bring people to the obedience of faith in our own people groups. But we are called to cross ethnic lines to all people groups. And, and our church is working to do it. You heard last week testimonies of how our church is working through, now through missionaries in Indonesia and, and Somalia and Ireland with Will and Sarah Myron and, and, and China, as we've just heard, and, and, and over in India and through Wycliffe translators you've heard from Gary Sigma. And, and the crazy thing today, though, is that to reach all nations... We don't even have to leave home. God is actually bringing the nations to our doorstep. This melting pot of ethnicities in America, unreached people groups even in the Twin Cities, unreached people groups in your area, living around you. God has brought them to us, and God has called us, like Paul, to go, to work together. To bring about the obedience of faith in all nations. And so that's the second thing Paul says there in verse 5 about his missionary calling. Something that also applies to our missionary calling. One, the obedience of faith. That's what missions is about. And we're called to do it where? In all nations. And the third and final thing now that Paul says here. And man, it is just a little phrase that Paul gives us here. So little you miss it. But with this one little phrase in verse 5, Paul gives us here his primary motivation. His, his primary reason for global missions. He gives us here the primary reason for all global missions. Why did Paul aim to bring about the obedience of faith in all nations, why should we aim to do that? Here it is, point number three, for the sake of His name. For the sake of His name. If you look one final time at verse five, Paul says, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name name among 
all nations. Why? Why? Why did Paul do global missions? Why did he seek to bring about the obedience of faith in all nations? Why, why do we do global missions? Not ultimately just to help people. Let me say it again. Not ultimately just to help people. Physically or spiritually. We are not called to do a man-centered missions. Yes, that's an important part of global missions for sure. God cares deeply about the lost and hurting people of this world. But that's not the primary reason why we're called to do global missions. We're also not called to do global missions primarily just so we can now be obedient to the Great Commission. Those are both good reasons for missions, but neither of those can be our primary reason. According to the Bible, there's one primary driving reason for global missions, and Paul just summed it up in six words. Why do we do it? For the sake of his name. We do it for the sake of his name. Or another way to say that, we do it for the glory of God. We do it for his glory. We do it in order that God, we do it in order that, that Christ, the, the one true God, that he might receive the glory, the, the praise, the honor, the adoration that he deserves. In order that God, that Christ, might receive worship from every people group on this planet. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Because the one true God, the all-glorious Christ, is not yet receiving the worship He deserves all over this globe. So many people groups still not giving Him the honor, the praise, the adoration He deserves. That's why missions exist. To raise up worship for God. To raise up worship for Christ for the sake of his name. Now, when people are raised up as worshipers, guess what they get? They get joy. They get eternal joy in God. Yes, they do. But God gets glory. Why do we do missions? For the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. That's in our mission statement. Douglas Moo he says this about this phrase, for the sake of his name. He says this, the phrase expresses the ultimate focus of Paul's ministry. The name of Jesus is Lord. Ultimately, Paul ministers not for personal gain or even the benefit of his converts, but for the glory and benefit of Jesus Christ as Lord. And I want you to pause for a second. I bet when we read over Romans 1, 1 through 6, you might have missed the little phrase, for his, the sake of his name, it is amazing how often that little phrase shows up in the Bible. So easy to read right over it for the sake of his name. We see so many things in the Bible that are done ultimately for the sake of God's name. For the sake of God's glory in this world, his honor, praise, worship. Let me give you just a little taste here. Just, I want you to look at these, some of the places in the Bible where we see this phrase, things that are done for the sake of his name. We, we see first here in the book of Isaiah that God withholds judgment for the sake of his name. Here it is, Isaiah 49, 9. God says this, for my namesake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain my anger. Have you ever wondered why when the human race fell, God didn't destroy the human race immediately? Well, one reason was love. He loved the world, but another reason, for his own glory. He was not going to allow the world to be destroyed, to be lost, and defame his glory. Withholds his punishment for the sake of his name, or God saved the nation of Israel for the sake of his name. You see it all over. Here's one instance, Psalm 106, verse 8, yet God saved them for his namesake. 
or God saved the nation of Israel so that God might receive glory for saving them. Or God forgives our sin for the sake of His name. Psalm 25, 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. Forgive me, for it is great. Or, here's the one Pastor Thomas mentioned in his welcome this morning about God blotting out our sins. Why does God give it? Why does God do that? Here it is, Isaiah 43, 25. God says this, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. I forgive you. Why? For my own sake. For the sake of my name. For the sake of my glory, so that I might reveal myself to the world to be the great and forgiving God that I am, that is why I will blot out your transgressions. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't ultimately forgive your sin just for you. Can I say it again? God doesn't ultimately forgive your sin just for you. Yes, He loves you deeply, compassionately. He wouldn't have sent His Son Jesus to die. That was love demonstrated. But He doesn't ultimately forgive just for you. A man sent to forgiveness, but for the sake of His own name. A God-centered forgiveness in order that he might be praised, he might be worshipped in this world for his great forgiveness. Or how about this? We see in the Bible that God also, God leads his people for the sake of his name. Psalm 23, 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Pause there. How many times have you read Psalm 23 and you missed that phrase? How many times have you read it and you, and you missed that phrase? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He, 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 he protects me, he, he cares for me. He, oh, the Psalm 23 leads me in right paths. Why? Ultimately, not just for me, but for the sake of his name. In order that he might then receive praise and glory, worship for the way he leads his people. So that he might receive glory. And we could go on. Just all kinds of things we see in the Bible that are done ultimately not just for man, but for the sake of God's name. For the sake of Christ's name. So that God might receive glory, honor, praise, worship in, in this world. And, and you know what? That's really the human problem in a nutshell. That's the human problem. What, what's the problem with our fallen world? We don't, by nature, glorify God. We don't, by nature, glorify God's name. We don't honor, we don't worship the one true God. We don't worship Christ who created us. On the contrary, the human race, by nature, profanes the name of God. The, the human race profanes the name of Christ. Not worshiping the God who created us, but blaspheming God. Worshiping Everything but God. As Paul says here in Romans 3, 23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the nature of sin. It's not just that it affects you, it affects God. In your fallenness, in your sin, you fall short of the glory of God. You fall short of the purpose for which you were created. You were created to worship God. You were created, created to find your ultimate joy by worshiping God. And the whole human race falls short. That's sin. 
We've fallen short of the glory of God. We don't, by nature, honor, glorify God's name. We don't worship him as he deserves. The name of God in this world, the name of Christ, is blasphemed by a sinful, blind, dead human race. But God still loves us, and God still loves his glory. And that's why missions exist. That's why missions exist. Because God will not allow for all eternity his name to be profaned. He will not allow it. No, God will ultimately receive from every people group the worship, the glory that he deserves. John Piper says it like this. He says, the ultimate issue addressed by missions is that God's glory, His name, is dishonored among the peoples of the world. The glory of God is not honored. The holiness of God is not reverenced. The greatness of God is not admired. The power of God is not praised. The beauty of God is not treasured. The grace of God is not cherished. The presence of God is not prized. The person of God is not loved. And that is why missions exist, because worship doesn't. What is global missions about? What's what's it all about? It's about the glory of God. First and foremost, ultimately, a God-centered missions for the sake of His name in this world. That's why God sends people out on missions. That's why he sends them out on missions. We see it clearly in the scriptures. 3 John verse 7 says this about missionaries. Very simply, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Not ultimately, primarily for the sake of people, but for the sake of the name. And then they go to reach people for the sake of the name. For the sake of the glory of God. Or... Jesus says it himself, Mark 19, 29, he says this, he says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. And that right there is global missions. You're leaving house, family, land for the sake of Christ's name in this world or as Paul says right here, Romans 1.5, through Christ we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations. That's global missions. That's global missions. Working hard for the obedience of faith among all nations for the sake of his name. In order that the name of our beautiful, our glorious Savior, in order that his name might be revered and honored and worshipped and enjoyed by all the people groups on this planet. Can I, can I give you the global missions call in just a couple words? Let me give you the global missions call. Here it is from God. Just, I want you to just picture this. Every single dollar we give, every single missionary we send, every last bit of that is calling out to this fallen world, saying something very specific to this fallen world. It is all, all of that stuff in one accord, one unified voice is crying out, saying this right here to our fallen world. Psalm 96, 8, here it is. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. That's the global mission's call. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. And when you are brought to worship this one true God, you will find the eternal joy you were created to experience. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Give to our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the worship He deserves. Global missions is for the sake of His name.
And man, that right there must forever be our number one reason. That must be the number one motivation for all of our mission. Including global missions. John Stott says this, he says, we should be jealous for the honor of his name. We should be troubled when his name remains unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time we should be anxious and determined that it, the name of God, the name of Christ, shall be given the honor and glory which are due it. And please hear me, any motive for global missions less than that? Any primary motive for global missions less than that? If we do missions just to help people or just to be obedient or for any other reason less than that right there, our global missions has lost its moorings. It's no longer anchored. It's no, no longer tethered to, to this solid ground, but it's adrift and, and, and it's in trouble. I love, man, I love the global missions we do in and through our church family. I just hope it increases as the years go by. I hope every Christian uh, here becomes actively involved with missions, either as a goer, you go yourself to another nation, or, or you're a sender, you give generously to those who, who do go out. Uh, but in all of our global efforts, whether sending or going from now till Christ returns, my simple prayer is this, that in all we do, we would do all things ultimately for the sake of His name. For when the primary biblical reason for global missions, when that is also our primary reason for global missions, when we are aligned with the scriptures of global missions, doing all things for the sake of his name, we can expect God's favor. We can expect God's blessing. We can expect God's smile upon our global missions efforts. But if we lose that and we start doing global missions for any other reason than ultimately for his namesake, God will oppose our global missions efforts. God himself will oppose them. I'll end with this. In 1732, two young Moravian men from Hernhut, Germany, their names Johann Dober and David Nitschmann, they heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British man had taken several thousand slaves from Africa. Slaves that would now live and die on this isolated island without ever hearing about Christ. And these two Moravian men, Dober and Nitschmann, still in their 20s, hearing about these slaves, made, they made a decision to go. To, to leave their homeland, to travel to the West Indies, to bring the name of Christ to those slaves. And their original plan, if it was the only way to reach these slaves with the gospel, their plan was to sell themselves into slavery on that island for life knowing that if they did they would never see their loved ones again and when their ship pulled away from the docks taking them to the west indies pulling away their loved ones standing on the shore weeping these two young men leaving everything they'd known not knowing if they'd ever see their family their friends again looking out at their family across the water. These two men linked arms. They raised their hands to heaven and they shouted out to their loved ones, May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of His suffering. And they left. And just a few years later, 13,000 converts in the West Indies were praising the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the reward of Christ's suffering. That He might be praised and worshipped by all nations around this globe. 
Christ didn't suffer and die just so you might be saved. Yes, that's part of it. But he ultimately suffered and died in order that he, the one true God, might be worshipped by you and all nations. The reward of his suffering. So may God help us in all that we do with global missions to hold fast forever to that important, solid ground. Why do global missions? For the sake of his name. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings, which is worship, and he will. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, just how your scriptures just help to recalibrate us, help to realign us with that which is good and true and right. We, we thank you for it, Father. We pray, Father, for your help as a local church. We just live on a slippery slope when it comes to missions. We live on a slippery slope as, as, as believers. It's just so easy as Christians to become so man-centered and, and, and turn the whole Bible to just be about us. It's so easy to see you, Lord God, and, and all of this creation is just revolving around us. But your scriptures give us the Copernican revolution. And they remind us that all things don't revolve ultimately around us, but around you, including global missions. So Father, will you help us to be gripped with the glories of Christ, to see his beauty, to be gripped by his beauty, to see Christ as the all-surpassing treasure. And we know, Father, when we see Christ like that, we will run to glorify this Christ whom we love. So will you help us, Father, we pray. Help us in the name of Jesus. Amen.